0: If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be reading just verses 13 to 16. 1 Peter 3, verse 13 to 16. I'll give you just a moment to get there. So 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 13, says this. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, I thank You and I praise You for the precious gift of Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You use it to to challenge us together as Your church to speak up of the hope that we have in You, of the life and the freedom that can only come to us through Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to never be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. To let our lives be a testimony of Your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Now, I think we live in one of the greatest countries in the entire world. In fact, we are, we're blessed to live in a, a place of just tremendous freedom, aren't we? In fact, probably we're so free, we sometimes don't realize how free we are. We just make decisions every day when we don't realize that there are people around the world who aren't allowed to make those decisions. I remember meeting a, a lady one time when we were, we were at Blacktown who, prior to coming to Australia, she had lived for the last 16 years um, in a detention center, in uh, like immigration detention center in another country. And for 16 years, she couldn't eat without being told it's time to eat. Uh, she couldn't get a drink without asking for permission. She couldn't walk outside unless she was given authority to do so. She had never, in the 16 years, ever handled any of her own money, ever made any sort of decisions on how to do stuff. And then when she came to the country, to, to Australia, we just uh, give her the freedoms... To go, here's all this money. You decide how you want to do it. And she had no idea what to do. She'd never, you know, had a bank account. She'd never made decisions on, hold on, I can just go to a grocery store and get what I want with this money. And I think, wow. You know, we we just live in so much freedom, so much liberty. We we often take it for granted. We're blessed to live in a Christian nation, a Christian, a nation that allows Christian scriptures to be taught in our public schools, and allows churches to worship openly and publicly. A nation that allows Christians to lead people, people of other faiths or people of no faith, to relationships in Jesus' Christ. We understand very little in this country about persecution. And we thank God for that. Because we live in Australia we don't know what it's like to to struggle for that faith and to to be afraid of our lives if we're going to live out that faith if we're going to tell someone about Jesus it could risk it all it could risk our family's safety it could risk our safety it could jeopardize our very lives i know i know some christians from iran who whose families have deserted them because of their faith. Their families have said to them, you are dead to us. I know a Christian family from Yemen whose family has tried to kill them, even in Australia, because they've become Christians. Now we live in such freedoms. And yet the interesting thing is, we still we still so often don't take the opportunity to share with others what Christ has done for us. Because many of the people I know from from Iran and from Yemen and from other countries who have lived in places where it's so dangerous to share their faith can't wait for opportunities to share their faith. They want to get people aside somewhere so that they're behind closed doors or whatever it is so that they can tell them the reason they have hope in a dark world. God is the light. And I think we experience so much freedom and so much liberty. We have the opportunity in our workplaces, in the shops, in the streets, in our homes to share Christ, and we so often don't share our stories. Why? This passage in 1 Peter is talking to this early church. And and Peter says, don't be afraid if people are going to threaten you, if you're going to experience persecution for your faith, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what people can do to you. Don't be afraid of their threats, but boldly say what Christ has done for you. Tell people the reason of the hope that you have. I think in Australia, in these Western contexts, we, we, we often think that because we don't have, we don't experience this sort of persecution, or because we don't have, maybe a special story that sounds really impressive, that maybe we don't have a testimony or we don't have a story to tell. But I want to say to you, church, you were saved by the grace of God. You were destined for hell. And now you're destined for eternal life with God. We each have a story to tell. And it's important that we be willing to share our story. What Christ has done for you is very different from what Christ has done to me. We are all sinners saved by God's grace, but we all have a unique journey in that faith. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2 says, God has redeemed us from a life of trouble, so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love that. It sounds really easy, doesn't it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And many of you know that, uh, that verse in, in Psalm 107 too. But it's powerful, isn't it? To say, God has saved us from, from darkness to light. He has saved us from the chains of, of slavery and given us freedom And so let those who are redeemed in Christ say so. Let us speak up and tell what Christ has done for us. And so I want to do something a little different this morning, and I'm just going to tell you a little story. And that's some of my testimony, my story. Now, many of you, you may just go, well, you know, I've got an impressive story. Have you ever heard those impressive testimonies where you just go, wow. Mine's not one of those stories, okay? This is an impressive story. This is a story that's about me. Just simple me. And so I'll start at the very very beginning. I was born. (laughs) I was born in December 1974, and my family lived in a little place called Idiot's Branch. Now that explains a lot for some of you. (laughs) I was born in a little place called Idiot's Branch, which is in the hills of Kentucky, just outside a little town called Williamsburg. When I was about three years old, my family moved to um, the farm where my, my dad was raised and his mother before that, and it's in a little place called Pleasant Hill, which is next to Duck Run and Bear Waller, okay? So it's the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. Now, my father was a local pastor, and then he became, uh, was of the director of missions for a couple of different Baptist associations, which meant he worked with uh, just over 60 different Baptist churches, helping to coordinate the ministry and missions of these churches. And so we went to church all the time. I mean, every Sunday, my dad was preaching in a different church. Usually, he was preaching in one church on Sunday morning, a different church on Sunday night. And we had our home church that my mom usually brought us to Sunday school and church in, and my dad was preaching in different churches. Uh, Sometimes we'd go to these churches with my dad, and there were less than 20 people there. Sometimes there were over 1,000 people there. Some of those churches had bluegrass gospel, some had contemporary Christian music, some had old hymns, some had modern hymns. Some churches struggled to get along because some did old hymns, some did new hymns. Uh, you may have known some churches like that who just go, oh, oh they use this hymnal here. Yeah? Uh, and some don't use hymnals at all, the radical ones. Yeah? So we went to all sorts of different churches. And I remember when I was nine years old, we had a, a revival preacher come to a church. Now... The Baptist churches, when I was raised in Kentucky, used to have revival services, which is where they'd have a week-long time in which people would go to church every night of the week. And you'd invite the community to come and hear these evangelistic messages, preaching the gospel. And I remember, I don't know if you've experienced these fire and brimstone preachers, uh, they call them, where um, they're they're just preaching strong about, about hell and how if you're not saved you're not a christian you're going to hell and what, what's even stronger than the the fire and brimstone preachers is the hiccup preachers have you ever experienced them now we call them hiccup preachers because it kind of sounds like they're hiccuping or gasping for breath but they'll they'll preach as long as they can and they'll just kind of talk and talk and they'll go and then keep going again hey okay? and they just kind of gasp for breath and and the, the preacher's going And we are saved by the grace of God. And then we are alive when we experience the peace of God. Isn't that right, brother? And you go, yes, yes, that's right. (laughs) That's right. It wakes you up anyway. No one fell asleep in the sermons, I remember, when I was growing up. But this pastor was preaching this way, and I'd never experienced such passion. And this guy is talking about hell and the reality of hell for those who don't follow God. And I remember going home, and thinking about this message. And when I was getting ready to go to bed I was sitting at my bedside and my mom came in and she said hey, what's going on? And I said look I've thought a lot about what that preacher said today and I said I don't want to go to hell. And she my mom sat down with me by my bedside and she told me about Jesus' love. And how that's kind of a reality for any who don't trust in God but God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to pay that price for us. So all we have to do is believe in him and we can have life. And there by my bedside, my mom led me to Christ. Now, I come from a Christian family. I've been in church literally from the time I was in my mom's womb. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, I was in church. But it took me nine years plus the time in the womb, I guess, uh, to discover really what cross love meant for me. And I remember when I experienced that grace, I'd never felt so loved. I came from a very loving home. My mom loved me. My dad loved me. My brother and sister loved me on occasion. (laughs) And I felt supported and loved, but I'd never felt more loved than I did with God. And I remember that the next day I, I wrote a song called God is the Only One. And my mom being my mom, she made me sing it in church the next Sunday in front of 350 people in my local church. And um, she said, if God gives you something like that, he wants you to use it. And uh, so I started uh, singing the song there in church. And then when I was a teenager, I fell away from church some. I started going along with my, my family. And uh, they would be in church, and I would kind of skip church and be... Uh, wandering around the building or whatever and uh my dad was usually off preaching somewhere else but my mom was there in church my mom's one of those who just she had her seat in church do you know those people there's certain people that excuse me you're in my seat yeah now my mom wasn't that bad but if someone sat in her seat she didn't you know she didn't pick him up and chuck him out or anything or she didn't say anything to him. but she had her seat that you know if nobody else was there my mom was going to be there and she was on the, on the right side, the third row back, okay? So, Andrew, you'd be sitting next to my mom, okay? So um, that's my mom's seat. Every single Sunday morning, every Sunday night, that's her seat. Uh, so she was always faithfully there. Um, but I was kind of running around in the building until one day this lady named Mrs. Gerkey caught me. Now, I used to wonder why Mrs. Gerkey was skipping church too. Uh, she used to be wandering around, and I used to try to avoid her. You know, I'd see her over here, so I'd sneak around here. But then I found out later on that Mrs. Gerkey, every single Sunday morning and every single Sunday night, she would start out in church and worship. And then the whole time while the pastor was preaching, she was walking around the church building just praying for everyone in the church and praying for the pastor and covering the whole service in prayer. But anyway, Mrs. Gerkey came up to me. He was my Sunday school teacher at the time. And she said, Mike, I don't know why you... I've seen you out here, lots of times. I just want you to know that I love you. And God wants you to know that He still loves you. That you might be running for something, but God loves you. And at the age of 12, I was at a youth camp. And it was there, really, that I rededicated my life to Christ after talking to one of our youth leaders. And I started having a daily time with God. I'd never experienced anything like that. All of a sudden, the Scriptures started coming alive to me. And, and every day, I'm, I'm reading about God in His Word, and, and He speaks to me, and He challenges me. And I, I learned that this is not just a book. This is really the the living Word of God who He speaks to us every single day and He speaks to us uh, through prayer and He speaks to us through His Word and He challenges us in in our time of worship and through the Word and started to grow in our faith. And I started then to help out in different churches and uh, every summer uh, I would work in 10 different churches leading uh, summer camps. And so 10 weeks of of different um, summer camp kind of stuff and for those 10 weeks as well I'd work at uh, a different Christian camp so through the years, I, I taught or, or led music or directed uh, over 100 different church camps. And it was an exciting time in those uh, early years of just developing that faith. And then when I was 16, I felt God calling me to preach. Now, I was at a youth lock-in. Now, does anyone know what a youth lock-in is? Okay, it's where they... You, you go somewhere as, as a youth, and they literally they lock you in there for a while. So you're locked in there for the night. So we'd go to like a, a bowling alley or something like that, and they would lock the doors, and so it's kind of secure. But you're locked in there for the night, and you're, um, you're doing whatever youth activity is, bowling and games and stuff like that. Well, anyway, we had a youth lock-in at our local church, and uh, they're doing all these youth activities. But it got to be about 2 o'clock in the morning, and a friend and I uh, got pretty tired, and we snuck out of the lock-in. And uh, we found a way out, and um, we went to uh, my friend's car, and we thought we'll get some rest, okay, because it's getting pretty tired. Uh, we were bored of what was going on in the youth stuff, and so we'll kind of sneak out and get some rest. And I just couldn't rest. I just felt God calling in my heart saying, well, I, want you to, I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to, to be a pastor, to be a preacher. Now, I didn't want anything like this. And so I kept kind of bargaining with God. And I don't know how many of you tried to bargain with God. You can try all you want. He's going to eventually get, get his way, I think. But I, I tried to say, God, I'll do anything else. I'll go into to music or I'll serve in churches in other ways. But I don't, want to, um, I don't want to preach. And a lot of it had to do with my father because my dad was always at church but many times wasn't there for us. Now, I love my dad. And this is nothing disrespectful to my dad. But he was always out, out preaching and, and pastoring He was always at preaching conferences across the country. Uh, And I had felt at the time that dad was was a distant father. I had felt so often that that my dad was was not the husband he should be for my mom. And I saw my dad struggle in in many different ways, in, in their marriage and in our family. And I remember telling the local pastor, because... My friend just wanted to sleep in the car, and I kept asking him, what about this? I really feel God's saying this. And finally, he's just like, just go talk to the pastor, because you know, he just wanted to rest. But anyway, he he sent me to the pastor, and I'm talking to this pastor, and I I told him, I said, look, I have to be honest with you. If years and years and years of serving God, and I turn out like my dad, I don't want anything to to do with it. Now, it sounds like a really harsh statement, but... That's just how I was feeling at the time as a 16-year-old, just going, if that's the kind of husband I want to be, if that's the kind of father I'm going to be, then then count me out. And this pastor sat and talked with me, and he said, if God's calling you to do this, He's going to equip you to do it. He's going to allow you to be, He's going to help you to be the husband you want to be. He's going to help you to be the father you want to be. He's going to help you to be the person He wants you to be. And that night, in, in August 1991, I gave my... Uh, surrendered to God's call to preach. And as in typical style, it seems, in my life, the next Sunday they had me preaching my first sermon. And I was 16 years old. I preached a message from Revelation chapter 20. Now, I don't know if you've ever preached before, but sometimes your notes look different from the final product. Now, I had I had a legal pad, and I was writing out stuff on my legal pad, and, and I had eight pages of notes written out. And I thought right, this is going to be about a 30-minute sermon or something, over within 10 minutes. Yeah? I just must have flown through this, but I, I preached as best I could from Revelation chapter 20 about the great judgment of God, and it turns out, if you're a, if you're a theologist uh, among us here and you know something about theology, I end up preaching a premillennial sermon in an amillennial church, uh, so they were kind of different theology than I was preaching at the time, but... Seven people accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior that night. And I was just in awe of, of God just moving when I was just willing to step up and say, God, I, I think you're calling me to do this. And So I started a, a prayer group at my, my school and I ran that for the next uh, couple of years as I was in high school. We started a creative ministries team which was using people from different churches around, working together and sharing in drama and music and, and puppets and different things. And... While my friends were, many of them drunk at different parties, I was at church uh, leading some different things with my Christian friends. In college, I sang in a, a southern gospel quartet for a while and then later traveled with other singing teams for a few years uh, each weekend while I was in college. Now, I preached almost every single Sunday in different churches. I served as, as interim pastor and then preached for revival services and youth camps and I just loved preaching the gospel. I loved getting to know God's word. I couldn't and I still can't get enough of it. God kept me safe among so many temptations throughout my college years. There are times in the past, yes, when I was a teenager, I, I, I tried to run from that call. I wanted to do something else, but when I found what God wanted me to do and surrendered to that... Man, he brings such peace and he brings such blessing. Look at me now. God has brought me here to Australia. I'm, I'm married to the, to the most beautiful woman I've ever known. Tick. So there you go. Points, points for me there. No, I, I'm, I'm married to the most beautiful woman I've ever known. We have five phenomenal kids. Three of them have given their life to Christ as well. And I, just, I sit back sometimes and I just say, God, this is just from you. God, you, praise God. I get to serve in this community, which honestly is, is one of the most beautiful spots in all of God's creation. And I get to serve in the community with, with each of you, and it's only by God's grace. If I had not trusted Christ as that nine year old kid, who knows where I'd be? And I, I praise God. I praise God because I'm a sinner who is loved and forgiven by God. Not perfect in any way, not even close, but forgiven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. That's my story. I realized early on I was created for more. I was created by God to do God's work. He has gifted me with something to use for His honor and glory. And He's gifted each of you. And I want to challenge you to think, what is your story? And to let your light shine before Him. So people can see your good works and glorify God. It's not about bringing any sort of honor or glory for us. It's not about bringing the, the, the praise to us at all. It's about when, when people recognize there's something different in you, in your workplace. And they should. We talked last week about how our very life with God should show God's grace, should show God's mercy, should be a testimony of what God has done for us. And people see that. In our workplaces, and in our families, and our marriages, people should see the work God is doing in our hearts. People can see what freedom looks like. Doesn't that make sense? If you are living in slavery, if you're living in chains, you see what freedom looks like. That's why the rest of the world want to come to Australia. They want to come to America. They want to come to the UK. They want to come to these countries that they've heard about where there's freedom. Because it's an attractive thing to go... I am free to be liberated. That we have experienced a freedom which is far greater than any president or any prime minister or any military in any country could provide. A freedom from the bonds of sin and life, eternity, eternal life with God through Christ Jesus. And we, it, it should show in our lives and as it shows, people are going to say, hold on, how do you do it? How do you have such peace? when the world is spinning out of control? Or how do you love that person? How do you show grace to that person who, who's not a very gracious person? And there are opportunities when we're living our life just in that relationship with God, learning from Him every day, loving Him every day, being loved by Him every day. It changes our heart. It changes our life. And people recognize that difference. And when they recognize that difference, it says, don't be afraid to share the reason for the hope that you have. Because God has given you hope. He's given you peace. He's given you freedom. And we need to not be ashamed or afraid to share that story. Don't be afraid to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. Tell people what Christ has done for you. And watch how he changes their heart and their life through you. Let me just lead us in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you and I praise you for for the relationship you have with us. That you're not a a distant God. You're not a God who just created us and then just leaves us. But you love us and you love to to interact with us every day, to walk with us and to talk with us, to teach us your ways, to lead us in the right ways, to to pick us up when we stumble and fall, to forgive us and to love us no matter how many times we stumble and fall and to keep trying to lead us in the right way. God, we're so grateful for the way that Your love transforms our life. We're so grateful for the way, Lord, You use our hearts to share Your grace with other people. And God, when people ask, or when people even threaten us and say, "Are, are You a believer in Jesus Christ? Help us to be bold, to not worry about any fear or any persecution, to not worry about any struggles, but to be bold to give the reason for the hope that we have in You. Help us, God, to tell the story of how you have changed us, how you have blessed us, how you have forgiven us and loved us and led us to life and freedom. Use our stories, Lord, to change this community with your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.